for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Are you ready for your late October or November rifle elk season? Look, if you've been hunting the first part of October, then you've had some incredible days for sure. Bulls were screaming and the incredible fall colors and the return of cold, crisp mornings. What a great time to hunt elk for sure. But for those late October and November firearms hunters, things are changing just a bit. Still absolutely exciting for those especially that go armed with knowledge out there. So on today's show, we talk about an elk's current modes, his focus and his needs, strategies of finding elk, the effects of the rut, the weather and moon and pressure as well as other Elk Bros tips and thoughts. So flip up those scope caps, y'all, because we're looking to put things in focus. That discussion, some Elk Bros shout outs and questions from our awesome Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas. And that's right. We got the leaders of the Venezuelan Mafia in the house from Katy, Texas, in the DFW area. And we have the legend himself, 
R.C. Knox from none other than Cuesta, New Mexico. And that's right. We got WWJGD and the ninja Leroy <laughs> Chavez in the house. We got all our elk hunting coaches and we are primed up and ready to roll. Good afternoon, fellas. Afternoon. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. We, we're going we're gonna to go with morning now, Joe, when it's like <laughs> midnight. <laughs> we'll cover all of them because you know what? We... You know, this is a Tuesday release show, but most of the time I release this about 10 p.m. Monday night, and it's amazing the amount of people that are listening to this puppy in the middle of the night, man. I mean, you know, it you, you can tell there's no good TV on like from one <laughs> yeah, in the right, yeah. four or something. <laughs> but hey, I've you know, I love the fact that people are jumping on by the time I get there in the morning, there's already like 500 listens or downloads and stuff i mean it's just pretty cool to see that jumping out like that so yeah we might as well cover morning evening yes sir why you keep introducing us as the leaders like you're right you're right it should be am i wrong plural man no it's not english terms i'm I'm pretty dumb speaking english but i you know (laughs) i know what plural is Dude, there's a lot more things you're dumb about, dude. Uh, just speaking English. Dude, here we go, fellas. You know, here we go. I don't know if you guys uh, read on that Instagram where uh, Luis posted the photo of all of us bros together yeah, from before. So, you know, it was when it was when we were up on top of White's Peak. So RC yeah. went in the photo, and uh, Casey Gamble came on and Casey, said yeah. something. Yeah, he he was like. Well, first of all, he's like, I would have thought Joe by his voice was six foot six, which I thought was cool, man. Because <laughs> anybody I've ever talked to on the phone, they and then they meet me, they're like, oh, I thought you were a little guy. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, and then it was like, well, I don't know about, you know, Gilbert and Manano, they're pretty big, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Luis- I told him, I told him uneven ground, bro. Don't even go there. Manano is like five foot one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was hilarious. Yeah. When we were when we were at camp and I seen Manano get out of the truck, I was like, "Whoa! I didn't realize he was that big." <laughs> a big guy. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you what: when uh, coaching the Hunt Wars guys and seeing them oh, on Zoom like this, and then meeting them in person, it was totally the same thing. Those were man. big dudes, yeah. man. No doubt. Let me tell you, God, what, dang. you should have you should have met the boys from Wyo. I mean, <laughs> Dusty and Cassidy, man, those, right. those were some big boys. <laughs> so, yeah, they, I mean, they were Cole Wilkes big, you know, I yeah. mean, all those uh, guys were that big. So, yeah. It, yeah. Wilkes ain't no midget, buddy. I'm going to tell you. That's a, that's a, that's a good sized feller. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I was in my younger days, we called that right fast looking size. Wrong, dude. <laughs> <Straight> up. <laughs> And then I mean, they were given when I was younger for sure. I'd have to try that on for size when I was a young man. <laughs> then, then, then they would give <laughs> brother Aragon a hard time, man. They were like, Hey, everybody jump in the truck, man. And they were like, Eric, you get in the ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> That's wrong. Uh, tell you what, man. Eric might be a little bit smaller in stature, yeah. but that that fella is, I mean, 
All yeah. chewed on, huh? Yes, so sir. He's strong. He's solid. Yeah, no, man. I, I I kid a lot. I wouldn't even arm wrestle Cole. I was worried he was ripping my arm off. <laughs> I needed the elk hunt, man. He was like all goading me into trying because he knows I really wanted to do it. <laughs> At the end of the day, yeah. I wanted the elk hunt, man. He'd have had me down two or three days. I guarantee you. I'd have pulled my arm out of socket trying to jerk him over. I promise you. Young yeah. whippersnapper. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Cole is the type, man, that uh, Cole's just going to jump in the middle of a mud puddle. He's going to wrestle with Hell the bear. Yes. Whether it's going to hurt Hell him or yeah. not, man, you know, I got to teach that boy to hunt a little smart and not so hard. <laughs> pretty <laughs> much dwarf, dwarfed us all, man. Yeah. Look, that cat's got a, he's got a daggum uh, go meter that <laughs> I don't oh, know absolutely. if there's any quit in, you know. I, and, I tell uh, you what, I thoroughly enjoyed hunting with you, man. That was a lot of Absolutely. Fun. Can't oh, wait yeah. to do it again. Him and yeah. Rob both. Fantastic people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The oh. CEO did not disappoint. Oh, man. Rob was, you know, and, and Rob came ready for like digging in the backcountry. Everything. Know? Yes. Yeah, he really did. Yeah, so. yeah he sure did. He, he had it strapped on, was ready to go. And speaking of people that really get after it, man, the success stories I've been sending you guys. Oh, my we've gosh. Been posting, oh, crazy. No, we keep talking week after week. And but there was one that I just had that came in and um, I'm going to read this. This is from Michael Madrid. And Michael had drawn a Nevada tech and. Um, he had bought some of our Vakru camo and, and our, our gear and stuff like that. And I got there just before. And he was like, so excited about this. And, and I, I, all of a sudden I get this thing that pops up, uh, a DM on Instagram from Michael and it said, I was able to harvest my first bull ever this past September. Thank you guys for all the great info and advice. I'm 40. My first cow elk hunt was when I was 14 in Arizona and I killed a cow. This was my very first bull tag. So from 14 to 40, this is his first ever bull tag. He says, I've been on many mule deer, javelina and antelope hunts and have had a lot of success. I started bow hunting when I was nine years old, shot my first cottontail at that age. Getting my first bull was like every one of those hunts combined. I cried laughed, panicked, and cried some more. I was alone or I wouldn't have cried. He put a bunch of smiley faces on there. It's just an unexplainable experience. My wife gives me heck because she says I was happier getting that bull than when I said, when she said I do. <laughs> We're not even going there. But in reality, man, we'll go there. <laughs> but in reality, on, she was my most supportive person on this hunt. I love your guys' podcast and the love of elk hunting you have. It's so awesome to be able to have that much passion and love for something. Thank you all, man. And I'm going to uh I'm I'm gonna share you guys this uh this photo of Michael and his first bull, man. All right. Yeah, dude. Nice. So cool, nice. brother. So yeah, happy for him. Look at the mass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that awesome, man? That's awesome. Oh, wait a minute. Looks like my bow. Can you see that, Luis? Can you see the <laughs> camouflage? Can <laughs> <laughs> you see the camouflage? Oh, my lord. And, and what's cool about that is he took his niece 
after he got that, he took his niece out on a cow elk hunt and she got her first cow elk. So oh, um, wow. we're going to be putting both of those things up and celebrating those on Instagram and some of these other great ones that we're getting as well. So a lot of super stories. And I sent you guys one today um, about um, uh, from Keith. And Keith talks about, and that's going to actually be, I'm not going to talk too much about it now because it's going to be on the question here at the end. And he had a request for that. So we're going to bring that up as well. So it's so cool to get the success stories. And, and another thing I want to bring up for our listeners out there, man, if you, if you are not using our Elk Bros Hunting Buddy, that's huntingbuddy.elkbros.com is where you can go to, or you can go to elkbros.com to connect to it. We have about 160 uh, users on our Elk Bros Hunting Buddy. And, and that's our site where you can go find just that. You can go look for a hunting buddy that is going to um, uh, be somebody that you can kind of match profiles with, get an idea of what their likes or dislikes, where they want to hunt, habits, you know, the non-negotiables, all those things. And, and for those of you guys listening, our listeners that are on Hunting Buddy, we want to hear some stories. Um, we yeah, want to hear some turn out. Yeah, how'd it go, man? Yeah. You know, let us know. Was it thumbs up, thumbs down? Is it going to be a return thing? Uh, you know, how did that work out? Don't for get you? married. <laughs> <laughs> well, you we know, I, I tell you what, you got to be able to depend on each other out there. That's right, dude. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Are so, y'all married hunting partners? Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> so let us know, man. Let us know. Any other news out there? You guys all good? Yes, sir. All right. Rocking and rolling. I don't know. Luis looks a little upset, man. Him and Manano. I got him split on each side of Chab. Chab's like, like he's he's like doing this thing, you know. <laughs> so you can keep them from touching one another. Yeah, yeah. Keep them keeping them apart, man. When they start having fights. Well, Joe, you guys know what time it is. Out. It's time for our Elk Bros shout-outs. If you're new to our show, this is a shout-out to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this And first, we're going to thank those folks giving us such incredible reviews on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Love seeing those five-star reviews, y'all. And we are still 50% on reviews to ratings, which is huge uh, out there. Paul Perky from Loveland, Colorado, one cow down and some incredible encounters for Paul, man. Jim Coyle from Wyoming and, and Jim, sorry, dude, Jim got COVID and Ooh. ended up not being able to go out to hunt. Um, still, you know, he said, I went from, yeah. you His know, family got, got it too, right? Yeah. Well, not, this is a different, this is Jim. Oh, this is different. Yeah. Okay. And, Jim said, I went from, you know, hauling weight in a pack on my back to not being able to draw my bow. So he really mm. struggled and he wow. was real, wow. real happy that he could kind of live elk hunting through what's happening on the podcast and stuff. But he said on the last part, did I hear Luis Gimanano a compliment? <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. It's yeah. very rare. <laughs> but it happens, especially when you catch Luis in a weak moment or a lot of runs. Yeah, yeah. and when Manano's not present. Yeah. yeah, if you tell Manano I said this, I will call you a liar. <laughs> and, and from Dan Pella from Arizona. Dan, you guys remember, is one of our hunt wars uh, from the Arizona yes. crew. Um, and Dan, you know, thanks for the compliment. He just said that. Uh, our group has had such incredible wealth of knowledge, man. So we sure appreciate that. And so next up, let's start our shout outs with a tip. We're going to go ahead and do a tip from 
Bob Collins, the old Billy Goat himself. Billy Goat. Old Billy Goat. Hey, guys, this is a pet peeve moment from the Billy Goat. Nothing disappoints me more the guys than finding trash out in the woods. I know most of this trash is not the hunters, but that we do find stuff that other hunters have left. Let's all do our part, pick up after each other, uh, make this woods, uh, this land a little better for each other. May not be our trash, guys, but it is our land. So thanks, guys. Let's all do our part, okay? Wanting everybody to do their part, man. Make Heck yeah, man. Pick up a bottle or a can. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. Thumbs up on that. Yeah. You know, yeah. when we hunt down here in South Texas or on our ranches in West Texas, man, we, we try to treat that land just like it's ours. And if we see something on the side of the road or a piece of trash or whatever, we stop and pick it up and put it in our buggies. Our landowners really appreciate that. I'm going to translate that to camp, you know, mm-hmm. try to keep camp tidy. Yes. I get tired mm-hmm. of all you guys being freaking nasty and leaving <laughs> shit up behind. Know what you're and about, man. I'm me. out there, but he's picking up after everybody. You know, he's, you guys leaving trash everywhere, man. man it's just it's not right. Oh, yeah. man. It's just like, <laughs> you know, things have to be set, you know, at some point. They just have bro, to be set. Bro, you okay? You know, bro, bro yeah. you all right? No, no, I'm just, you know. It's okay. okay. We're talking pet peeves right now, so I'm just kind of getting worked up and, and gotcha. just kind of venting here, you know. We're so not talking about the city part. We're talking. <laughs> <laughs> His wife must have got on to him about him and me. And that's, that's what it yeah. is, man. Just venting. Yeah, he had to clean the garage <laughs> today. That's what it was. <laughs> his garage no, is impeccable, do- dude. I could eat off the freaking floor in his garage. Oh, dude, no, I, I've, I've looked inside the tent, man. It looked like something exploded. Definitely in that bottom yeah. part. In his tent for sure he's got all that covered up but i'm in his garage dude it's all packaged up nice got labeled bins and right hey, dude, he's straight engineer man but and i the hear Minato's the, the, the organized one of the two <laughs> i don't know about that right Minato? and i can tell you this you go in my garage you lot would get hurt because it mean, is before the podcast before the podcast everybody's ready to go and Luis is having to get his microphone fixed he's trying to get everything organized taking stuff off he's cleaning his face i mean i you know yeah and then you wonder why you're pushing my buttons right now well, then you wonder why i'm venting and exploding all of a sudden you know well, like, a, like a 50 years old girl Hey, I was I was like right here and now I'm here. Like right here and now yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now for our top listening cities, Chav, take it away. <laughs> okay, uh, this top listening city was primarily a lodging and railroad town that shifted to farming in the mid 20th century. The name is an Indian word translated to English as the place of sand or shifting sand which when muddy hampered travelers and stagecoaches causing long delays on the Oregon Trail. This city is also known as the Rose City and the Mint City, and that's Chehalis, Washington. Chehalis, Washington. Chehalis, Washington. And then West Coast just keeps showing up, Joe. Two weeks in a row that Washington has led, and I want you to know that the top two listening cities this week are both from Washington. So, wow. yeah, man, Washington State, uh, ladies and gentlemen in that state, thank you very much and appreciate it. Yes, thank you all for that. listening. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Up next, this top listening city, midway between Vancouver and Seattle, is known as the gateway to the north, to the North Cascades, I'm sorry. Originally, the name was formed from combining two neighboring rival towns, Bug and Woolly, into one. 
<laughs> the name bug, because of the large number of mosquitoes, was unpopular. So a Spanish derivative of cedar, cedro, was used with a minor change in spelling. This city is home to the Logger Rodeo, a rodeo for loggers, uh, to compete in events like chainsaw carving and pole climbing. It's one of the oldest rural summer celebrations in the state of Washington. In Cedro Woolley, Washington. Cedro Woolley. Cedro Woolley. Bug and Woolley. That sounds like a fly fisherman's thing over there, man. Bug and Woolley. Like a woolly worm. Have you ever seen these loggers compete? Oh, man, dude. It's crazy. Crazy cool. Unbelievable. What they can do to carving with them things and everything and the pole climbing. Holy smokes, dude. I get scared just watching. Oh, my goodness, man. And and the way they go – and not only going up, but when they come down, man, they just barely tap that thing like they're – And, yeah, man, it looked like it tear my hip out of socket. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Coming down that thing. One of the cool events we used to see is when they would do those slicing, you know, when when they would do the the cut competition and they'd have to slice – just yes. those thin discs and stuff. Yeah. And I mean, those chainsaws go through they, stuff like they're butter. They, yeah, they call it the hot saw competition, man. Hot saw, and, there you uh, go. Man, I mean, it's like, <laughs> and it's who the fastest one can do it, man. Crazy <laughs> big saws and they're heavy. Look like it got a turbocharger on them and everything. <laughs> man, they're crazy fast at how Pretty fast neat, they man. cut that stuff. Right, cool stuff, man. Thanks, Cedra Woolley. You bet. This next ahead, city Luis. is part of the Inland Empire the largest metropolitan area in the United States without a major professional sports team. And it's located at the foot of the San Gabriel Mountains. It was a major location on the trade route established in 1774 by a Spanish explorer, Juan Bautista de Anza. The old Spanish trail from Mexico to Los Angeles later became known as Route 66, now part of Interstate 10, and besides hosting an annual Lemon Festival celebrated in April, it is also a popular spot for vertical skateboarding and the location of the TV series Dr. Pimple Popper. Dr. Pimple Popper, dude. (laughs) Fuck yeah. (laughs) Hey. Look at this. Dr. Pimple Popper is like one of my favorite shows, man. (laughs) I mean, I come in there and it's like, it's nasty, right? (laughs) Yeah, it is. So, uh, none other than Upland, California. Up in California. Man, in my old days, I, I could have easily said Dr. Pimple Pooper there on that one. That's just, <laughs> messed that one up. Look, I mean, that's right up there. I mean, you got Upland and Rancho Cucamonga right there, man. So, yeah. And then Montclair, Ontario, just east of LA. So, West Covina. And Route 66 ends up coming off that 10, coming all the way up through uh, Albuquerque as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, get your kicks on I-10 baby runs all the way through the state of Texas all the way through Louisiana clean to Florida Mm. hey Florida so route route same thing yeah uh yeah they they say tomatoes tomatoes six usually (laughs) rude you're rude (laughs) (laughs) rude. A, a route is like the way you're going right 
it uh, depicts the yeah, way but, you've went. But, but a, a root route also is, the, a root of a plant as well. So right, but that's a different spelling. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It spells differently. Yeah. 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 But you're it's right. It's route. From you your... take a route, right? Wow. So right. Yeah. Produce. Produce. Okay, so this city was named after Fort Steuben, established in 1786. The fort was named after a Prussian military officer, Friedrich Wilhelm von Steuben. Chaff, please. <laughs> this city is known as the city of the Moors because it has more than 25 downtown murals. This is where the legendary entertainer, entertainer, the king of cool himself, Dean Martin of the Rat Pack, was born and raised. Nutcracker Village, an annual Christmas time event, event is held here annually. None other than Steubenville, Ohio. You're gonna have to. It would have been better off if Chaff would have done it, man. Chaff, you did a good job, Bill, man. You asked, you asked, you asked, you asked them to. You know, you told Chaff that you would take over that one, man. It's like it's your own fault. Don't blame him for it. But, but he was so he good spent with one week, man. Just, he was yeah. so good with Steubenville, dude. This is the home of Dean Martin of the Rat Pack, dude. I mean, we're talking old Blue Eyes, Dean Martin. You know, these guys man. were. They, they were it in their day. Pretty cool. Last but not least, known for beauty, charm, and southern hospitality, this port city was the hometown of Charlie Daniels, David Brinkley, and boxer Sugar Ray Leonard. It's known as the gateway to Cape Fear coastal beaches like Wrightsville Beach with its strong surf and long boardwalk. Cape Fear was also filmed here, if you've ever seen the movie. It was done there as well. Its historic downtown has a 1.75-mile boardwalk that was named the Best American Riverfront in 2014. This city is also one of the top motion picture studios outside of Hollywood. Tons of movies and TV shows have been produced here, including Iron Man 3, The Conjuring, We're the Millers, and Dawson Creek. And this is in, and I've been there, Topsail Beach right down from there, Wilmington Beach incredible place wilmington north carolina all right man east coast shows up wilmington north yeah. carolina and a bunch of tv north shows carolina. been produced there yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> look if you've never seen cape fear it's a classic man absolutely robert i mean uh de niro's in Niro. it and, mm-hmm. and uh uh what's the other one man it was a really good actor that played with eddie murphy in 48 hours um Nick Nolte. Oh, Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. That's Nolte, him. Yeah. yeah, really good. And Juliette Lewis is in it too from uh, from Natural Born Killers. Man, I tell you what, though, De Niro in that movie, man, was a scary counselor. <laughs> scary dude, man. He was way way out there, brother. Oh my yeah. gosh, man. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's get to it. Today's topic, man. Um, we're it's all about late October, November rifle firearms hunting right now. And the reason I say firearms is, is that there's still going to be muzzleloaders out there 
that are going to be hunting and what type of muzzleloader you're using. A lot of those that in line or whether you're using the, the other ones and, and, you know, I, I'm throwing all of that in together because these guys are going to have an opportunity at this time of year. And there's a lot for everybody to think about on this. So if you think about it, like Washington, um, Washington dependent on the unit um, is generally around October 30th to around November 17th for their firearms, rifle or, or different ones. Oregon, depending on whether you're on the east or west, generally those dates run about November 6th to the 12th or 14th or November 20th to the 26th. So you can see how they're still coming up. Wyoming, Wyoming has, man, you talk about different rifle opportunities. They have an early season rifle hunt that's happening during September, even in August, I believe it starts August eighteenth. Yeah, wow. all the way through to January first because I believe, and and I'm I'm not sure if it's Wyoming or if it's Idaho, but one of those states. If you hunt archery and you're not successful, you can come back. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah, you can come back on that's the awesome. rifle season and and try to get that. Yeah, you get that in. all that money anyway. Yeah. Montana, October 23rd and November 28th. New Mexico has five-day hunts, and all of these rifle hunts in New Mexico are really dependent on the unit in October, November. There's There are some cow hunts in December, but those are only for um, residents in New Mexico. So yeah. you got to really look at your units as far as how that goes, because I know in October, they had some that started early as the 6th, some that go like the 13th or the 16th, and then they go a little bit later. So it just depends on, you know, on the unit. Um, Colorado, they have the second rifle hunt coming up October 30th to November 7th. And then they have the third, the 13th to the 19th. And y'all, that's the full moon. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit. And then their fourth is from November 24th to the 28th. Idaho, same thing. It varies by zone. But a lot of the late season muzzleloader opportunities as well happen really a lot of those opportunities for the muzzleloader hunters. And in Utah, rifle is over, but the muzzleloader hunts here from November 3rd to about the 11th. So that's just kind of an overview. So you kind of get a feel where a lot of these people are still coming in. And we have had already rifle hunters that have hunted. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what I really wanted to do in this show is, you know, we always break things down archery wise, right? And this is one reason that I'm really glad that Mr. Knox is here because yeah, RC has spent a lifetime with a lot of rifle hunters. I get the opportunity to guide a lot of rifle hunters. I mean, as soon as I'm done, I mean, we're starting October 1st on the ranch, right? Um, yep. Because in New Mexico, those seasons, those rifle seasons on private ranches are different than they are in the public land. All right. So that's something that, um, for people to know as well out there. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to break it down into separate goals and try to do this simply. Okay. And I'm going to have a one, two, and three, and I'm going to tell you before we get started, most people are going to jump to number two right away. Um, but I want you to understand that it's number one that we're going to talk about that really makes number two easier. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, and those are, first of all, knowing the animal. That's number yep. one. Understanding the elk's behavior at this time based on their needs. Number two, locating. 
knowing how and where to find elk. And number three, closing the deal. Shot selection, knowing your effective range and avoiding failure points. So those are the three categories that we're gonna break this down in. And, and I think it's so critical because starting out with number one, understanding the elk's behavior at this time based on their needs is if you understand this animal, you understand what their focus is, what their mode is, what their behaviors are at the point, that's going to help you so much in locating them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, why is that? Well, I can, I can speak from personal experience when I was, and I still don't know a whole lot, but when I was really green, I actually got the opportunity to help one of my clients go with him on a hunt that Carl allowed me to. And RC Knox knew that area better than anybody. Wind was gassing 45 out of the Northwest. And I'm like, well, I don't even know where to start. He goes, I know exactly where to start. <laughs> he said, I know where them boogers are going to be. He goes, and you just ease up this direction make a left and head up there and get into the, the timber or in the wind and just start working. You can start calling a little bit, but when you hear them, they're going to be right on top of you. He said, cause the wind is going to push them in this pocket and I'll be John Brown. When I got over there around where he was talking about, there wasn't one, there was a hundred and one. I mean, they were in there thick as thieves now. And, uh, I mean, seriously, I would have never thought to go in that little pocket, you know, but <laughs> RC knew the area. He'd been there, done that many, many times. He sent me in there and we harvested, uh, Jeremy Christofferson's first bull in an unbelievable event. But at the end of the day, yeah, I wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been because of me. It was because of RC Knox's knowledge of the area. So let's talk about that, man. Let's, sure. and, and let's, let's talk about why those critters were in there, RC, because this has to do with their needs and with their behaviors that are going on at the time. Why is it that that was someplace and how is this applicable to the other hunters out there? Well, I think it would have to uh, be because of the wind. Uh, they're looking for a pocket to where they can graze, eat, and mosey up to their bedrooms. And, and so, uh, yeah, that's close by where they can go to. And that's, I mean, that's something that you got to look for is, is when it's windy like that. And, you know, if so you've been there before. Area? Was it a protected area? Yeah. Okay. Well, kind of, yes, yes. It was in a little draw, up a little pocket, and where the wind was, get... yeah, it was 45 miles an hour everywhere else. And when you got there, it was probably maybe 10. 10, yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and out there, in the so. middle of the park, it was oh. gassing. It looked like daggum hurricane, uh, you know, bark come through there because the wind, the the grass was laid over horizontal, and those rascals were pushed up there in that little pocket where the the big trees were breaking all that wind off of them. But they were in there fighting and in a waller, right? And I mean, so they what were time of year was this? Gil? October the twelfth. October the twelfth. So yeah. So and let's talk about that because now we're talking about late October right? Yeah. Because these guys are listening to this. This is after the 20th. This is getting close to the 30th right now, going into November. All right. Mm -hmm. So do we have a little bit different animal right now? And if so, how? Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of your bulls are starting to heal up from this 
hard rut from September through October, right? Yes, sir. And some are still, I mean, I'm telling you right now, there might be still some cows that are have been late, but these bulls are when we were there from the sixth to the thirteenth, they were going absolutely bonkers. Like yeah, going all night and chasing and going nuts, right? But after another week or so past that, these bulls are, you know, that most of the breeding's been done and they're trying to heal up and, and get ready for this big winter that's coming for them because they were run down. They're they've lost what 200 pounds yes. i mean they've lost yep. lots of weight and yep. uh they got to get ready for this for this big push this big winter that's coming so you know they want to be alone too they're kind of loners you know they don't want to be so so much around herds let's, let's break this down man let's break this sure. down because people are going to you know when we're talking about understanding elk and understanding the elk that we're after the first thing that i always ask my guys is what elk are you hunting are you hunting? Are you trying to get a mature bull? Are you trying to get one of those big mm-hmm. old mature bulls? Are you after just a simple satellite bull? It doesn't matter. Will you take a raghorn bull if it's a legal bull in that state? So like in mm-hmm. Colorado, it's got to be the sure. four and one or, or the five inch, or are you hunting cows? Mm-hmm. Because each of these, um, whichever you're hunting is going to have a different thing. So we need to understand these elk at this time, what the, what that animal is like right now. So let, let's talk about, it because you've already mentioned these, these boogers that have lost 200 pounds and they're trying to get off. So basically you're talking about the mature bulls. And um, I, I want to take a look at the time of year. So here we are. What's the date today? The 22nd today, 20th, 20th? is it the 20th? Yeah. So when yeah. this comes out, it's going to be like around the 24th, 25th. Yeah. So we're looking from the 25th, on from there right yeah this is late october yes Mm -hmm. so so when you're talking about these animals we're going to break it down from matures to the satellites to the raghorns to the cows all right what is happening with these animals and like you said with the mature bulls i want people to understand that from i would say gosh man even like the 16th 17th 18th you know, going on till about the 30th and possibly, like you said, Gil, possibly even going into November, depending if a cow has not been bred because they come in multiple estruses until they're bred, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a chance that in that first part of November that a cow will come in estrus. Yep. And if a cow does come in estrus, that's going to blow up a rut around that cow, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, for a limited amount of time, for about 20 hours. And so there's going to be something that happens with that. But most of these bulls in that early time, I like to think of that time as like when the bulls have split off, and they usually start splitting off around October 8th to 11th. When they start splitting off, those big bulls start splitting off. It's almost, from what I've seen and gathered, it's almost the same, the flip side of the pre-rut you know, workup that's happening where you had the young bulls come in and they gathered up the cows. Right. And then as soon as those bulls start coming to heat, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, the cows did those mature bulls come in and take the herd away from them. Right. Yeah. Well, now you have on the flip side, now these big guys are done and they're peeling off. So now you have those satellites coming in. Satellites. Yeah. And they're coming in and, they are now taking these cows and they're cows that most likely have been bred already. There's a possibility there's one that hasn't, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're the satellites that 
they're basically going through everything for the following year. They're still kind of setting pecking orders. They're playing the game, but let's talk about attitudes. So mature bulls are still in the wings. If a cow comes in heat, those mature bulls can still come into that picture. Sure. And we've had it happen. We killed our biggest bull. We killed our biggest bull on the ranch about four years ago on October 24th. And it was a rut that was happening in that little area. And a big bull came into that situation. So they were still kind of like hanging off again, depending on the pressure you get in places where there's a lot of pressure. Those big guys are just going to go dive off someplace. Yeah. Okay. They're they're just going to dive off and they're going to recover those satellites. Let's ask, let's, if you're a satellite bull and you've been getting your butt kicked and now you've got these cows, how are you going to react to somebody else that is challenging you? Another bull that's challenging you. What are you going to do with your cows? Get around them up and get them rolling, man. Heck yeah, man. Yep. Yep. Don't want none of this. I'm yep. done. I'm guarding what I got. It took me this long to get it. I'm guarding what I got. Absolutely. I told you, I've said this story before when we were at the Mesa and man, you know, we had them, we were, they were shut up and it was that time of year where they're kind of moving off, splitting off. And, um, I, I cow called one time we shut the, shut the UTV off. I cow called one time and this bull just erupts. Like we thought he was below us. And uh, we kind of ease on down there and he erupts and, and he erupts with like a roundup bugle. Now I didn't know it at the time, but that's exactly what it was now that I know. And uh, if I'd have known that I would have went, Oh, he's got cows, you know? So we need to make a play on him right now. And uh, instead I just kind of kept easing forward and he, I couldn't get him to answer anything else. I bugled once nothing. He really shut up then as soon as I'm, you know, kind of challenged bugled him just really shut up. Wouldn't answer anything. We, we went for an hour and 45 minutes on a hike and then came back. And when I got back to the buggy, yeah, <laughs> right, right below us. <laughs> I mean, just erupts, you know, real quick roundup view. I'm like, man, y'all get your stuff. Let's dive off. You know, <laughs> we got our stuff together, dove off and man, we can go 75 yards. And he's standing down, down there with 12 cows. You know, but he did not want anybody else knowing that he was down there because he knew what was fixing to happen. Those satellites or a bigger bull is going to come in there and steal what he had. Yeah. Was it fair to say there are some certain similarities between this early season time. and late season? Absolutely. Yes. And, and I was just getting ready to, to ask you and Manano about that. I mean, if you guys were to think about those young bulls, especially where we were hunting Colorado, that you know, a young bull had one cow or one cow and a calf, man. And <laughs> And and the reaction they got when I bugled at them, yeah, <laughs> right, very similar. freaked out, dude. <laughs> like, where did that bull come from? Yeah, yeah. that bull's where still running. Yeah. <laughs> bull's still running. We don't know where it's at. Calgary it's by now, by somewhere yeah. in freaking Canada by now. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, if you if you think about that, so you go from early season where you have your bachelor group, right? And then you go into the rut staging where the young guys go, the big guys peel off, go into the rut where the big guys go in and push the young guys out to the uh, post rut where the big guys lay off a little bit. Young guys go back in and mm -hmm. doing the same thing. Right. And I'll tell you, those raghorns, those raghorns are just trailing those satellites and those herds right now. They're mm -hmm. still 
wanting to be part of the group. And then what's starting to happen, what happens then from that, from that staging period when those satellites are there, those other big guys are off or either dived off is then those satellites get tired of that. And even some of those rags, and then they go back to bachelor situation, but there's going to be some of those bulls that I've seen these younger bulls stay with the herd into, you know, in snow in December sometimes, man. Mm -hmm. And I've even heard them bugling in December 1st, you know, uh, with, with a group like that. But so you have bachelor group split off, big guys taken over to split off to bachelor group. And, and this is the interesting stage because right now, especially in this late October, and even early November is the hardest time to find, in my opinion, it's the hardest time to find one of those big mature trophy bulls yeah. because they've done dived off for recovery, right? Yeah, they've gone silent and just off the radar trying to get back to survival mode. Yeah, because what is the one thing that we say makes it great for us in archery and locating an elk? The yeah, they bugle. Oh, right. They right? bugle and they yeah. talk. Yeah. But then they once talk. these guys get past that and they shut up, now what are you going to depend on to be able to find these animals? Yeah. Owls. Yeah, I mean it's knowing where they the cows are going to be, knowing where where their food is, where their travel corridors are. Yeah, you but know. you have a breakup, Gil, because where the cows are, you still might find some of those young bulls. Sure. Yeah, but not the big ones. But not the big ones, right? Yeah, no, you, you got to get in their corridors where they want to dive off, come out and eat, go to bre- go to water, wallow, whatever it may be. But they're going to be in those narrow corridors. Yeah, I'm straight on the essentials. Yep. Yeah. You, you let me tell you where they're going to be. They're going to be where you don't want to go. Go, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, where you don't want to be. The ultra bedroom. Water and food, I guess, huh? Uh, And you know what? Um, They're going to be someplace where they have cover, where it's going to be hard, where they can just bed and recover, but yet they can eat within that area close. And I guarantee you there's going to be water close by, not too far. Energy preservation. Absolutely. Priority. Yeah. You have to, if you think, if you look in an area and you think, let's say that you were wounded and you needed to go someplace where you could hide from people pursuing you, where you could still get food and you're going to have to have some water too, you, where would you go to hide? And once you start thinking that way, yeah. Now you're starting to find the places. I mean, you want to go someplace where people are not going to walk through, where people don't want to be, you know, so that, that, that mentality is something that you got to look at if you're after that kind of bull. If you're in, like you said, Gil, you know, well, you look for cows. Well, here in this first part of it, what I, when I say first part, I'm talking the last part of October here to the very beginning of November, where there's mm-hmm. still these bulls that are hanging with cows. Yes, you can probably locate some cows and locate a bull there. I'm still doing it, right? Yeah. But then in, in that November part, those bulls are now going off those cows, except for those young, young things, and they're going off and they're bacheloring up. Now, when they start that bachelor period is actually the best time to locate a bull. 
because they're going to be eating more. So they're going to be staying out later. Okay. In the morning, they're going to be coming out earlier. They're going to be in groups instead of singles. So it's going to be easier to pick out movement or to find them on slopes, on ridges, on sides of hills, wherever there's food sources that they can get to, you know, if there's, and, and we'll talk about weather and stuff, but I want you to have that idea of what these animals need at the time. Okay. Sure. So Makes sense. a question I get asked all the time is, can we still use calls? And again, let's take a look <clears> at that period from this last part of October. Can you still use calls? Sure. Absolutely. You can try, man, especially, yeah. you Can't know, hurt. yeah. Hurt if you've got one talking. Yeah. And for, for me, even in this beginning part of October, man, unless I got into a rut and, and you got to understand something, like you said, these bulls don't want to fight now once they gotten with these cows and the big guys have pulled off unless a rut really happened, you know, yeah. it's, it's a tough situation because you don't want to get in there screaming because they're not going to fight anymore. They're going to push. So what I used calls for in this October hunt as a guide is I'm basically calling to locate. And then if I need to find out where they are again, I would use like a, a lost calf, right? I really did not want to, you know, do any dealing as I was coming in because I didn't want them pushing them away, right? And as long as they were talking, then, man, that was perfect for me to be able to, to get in and move in on them, right? Sure. So that, that's the thing. And you're going to lose that. You're going to lose these animals bugling. So... If, if, if we're, if we're no longer using calls for that, we can use cow talk, but usually the reason I keep a diaphragm on my mouth during a rifle season is not so much to pull in. What's it for RC? To stop him. Yeah, stop him. <laughs> to, to have him making sure that everything is clear. All the cows are gone and he's standing there by himself well, and, he's, and he can, yeah, for a shot. I mean, if he's, moving you can stop him every time yeah Absolutely. yeah it, it, i mean you guys do this for whitetail all the time right yeah and, you know, yeah and, right and. you guys do that just to get that whitetail to stop so that you, you don't have a moving target i guess, and, I guess it depends i with whitetail I, I i try not to even talk if i, I need him to the, stop i'll i'll, I'll grunt at him do, do they usually uh, stop for you luis it, it, it depends. So, you know, if, if, you, if you're hunting, if you're hunting over, if you're hunting over a feeder, yeah. you know, they'll stop by it to eat. But if you're just hunting public land and they're just walking by to Beto's point at that point, yeah, you may want to stop him. If he's just walking, if you're just in a pass through area where they go through, you may need to stop him before the shot. Just like Beto said, but be aware that when you do that, they're going to be way more alert when you take the shot. So same thing, right? Yeah. So, so with that in mind, you know, we talk about the moon phase in archery season. How much do we worry about the moon phase in archery season? Zero. No, oh, it's a, yeah, yeah. We don't an issue for me. Right. But what do you think about now for <laughs> rifle hunters? If, you know, they're waiting for animals to come out into open clearings or be out in open clearings in the morning. How much could the moon affect them? A lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They'll go up or, or stay out later 
or go up earlier, you know, mm-hmm. come down later. I mean, there's, there's a lot, lot the moon will affect on the rifle hunters for sure. Yeah. It'll lengthen the day. Yes. That's the, right. You know, the days are a lot shorter in wintertime. And yeah. I had a question for RC uh, on elk behavior. I'm of the opinion that there are some bulls that are just nocturnal. You know, the giant giants that, that show up every once in a while, but you know, nobody ever kills them. You think there's some bulls that just, it's nighttime only? Uh, it's a possibility. I think a lot of them are just, you know, they're, that's how come they're big and wise is because they, they've been in situations to where, hey, that isn't the time to go out. You right. know, and if uh-huh. I can go out at, in the evening, you know, they're, they're big. They got big old horns. They're really not scared like a regular herd would be or a cow or something like that because mm-hmm. they're like, they can generally whip anything off that they need to. Yeah. Yeah. You just come in the middle of the night and chase away. What? Well, yeah. uh, you know what? Herd bull. <clears throat> yeah. You know, Luis and I hunted one time around November the 3rd or the 5th. We mm-hmm. hunted uh, in North, somewhere up in Central, the, eastern, North yeah, Central. Mm-hmm, the eastern part. And it was on a, a big mesa and uh, we hunted with an outfitter there. And it was during that time where those bulls were all, uh, the younger ones were still together, but the bigger bulls were all singles, right? right. And they were by themselves. Absolutely. You, you had to catch them coming in their early in the morning, coming out of that bottom and coming through their corridors, right? And uh, and we did a lot of glassing. I mean, we sat up on big ridges, yep. seeing where those bulls were going to come out of and go to. And then you made a plan and dove off after them, you know? Yep. Uh, so I like that. Uh, I'd never done it before. Um, Luis had never either. And so we learned a lot. We learned a lot what not to do. And, uh, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, um, learned a tremendous amount about elk behavior. And, uh, you know, and this segues right into questioning your, yeah, your guide, two, you know, right? and, yeah, yeah. And to, to questioning things. And um, I had, I had a lot of questions and uh, look, and, and this cat way outweighed me. Uh, as far as his knowledge, <laughs> right? I mean, this dude was way, way longer in the tooth than me as far as hunting elk. But one thing I do know is, you know, we hunt a lot here with whitetails and pigs, and you ain't fooling an elk's nose. I'll tell you that straight up. Mm-hmm. And when you put yourself up the rear end of an elk and the wind is blowing from your backside, Stop. it's over. It's done. You hit. Yeah, and it was, it was in, and that was a long distance too. And, and we blew it up, but you know, to, to Chav's point with regards to the animal behavior um, and them, you know, some of them potentially being nocturnal, man, I, you know, just comparing them to pig behavior. Uh, there are some areas that are close to population here that have a ton of pigs. You will not see pigs during the day. Well, they're very nocturnal. It, it were very, very, they turn very nocturnal depending on the pressure and where they're at, right? I think so, elk will too. Well, yeah, well, so I'm, I'm thinking that might that, be something. They do that already during the archery scene. You take these guys down at the Gila that are waiting mm-hmm. on tanks all the time out there. Yeah, you're yeah. going to get some of those early on, but a lot of those, once they start smelling that scent around those tanks and they start coming in and mm-hmm. hearing hunters in there, they're, they're going to go water at night. 
is Joe, one I'm telling you, we had yeah. a feeder. We had a feeder 45 minutes here from my house. And we had the feeder going year round, cameras year round. There wasn't a single picture of a hog during the day in that feeder. Not a single picture yeah, of a hog during the, the day. Pressure. It was always at night. Because always of the people moving around at that time, right? Yeah. So in... And I want to bounce back to moon phase because we're actually kind of jumping into our locating part right. of it there a little bit. Right. But I, and I'll tell you this, during on a, even on a private place, man, and so we're talking about where these animals don't have people just bouncing into them on a ridge or something like that, or people coming over or driving through or on ATV or anything like that. They are not bothered all the time. And we you will find a ton of frustrated guides because those elk are out that first 15 minutes of daylight and then they're in the trees and they are not out of the trees. If you are waiting, and, and this is the Chab's question too, because if you're waiting at parks or openings for them to come down to feed, or let's change even the terrain. Let's say it's Arizona there, you know, and you're waiting for them to either come up onto a mesa, or let's take down into the flats of uh, South Dakota or some of those areas in Wyoming, where they're going to come up into those sage areas. No matter what, they're not going to come out of those safety areas until they have to they'll feed in some of those places where they're covered and then they'll mosey into those other places the last 15 minutes of legal shooting light and and most hunters most hunters have already left yep. and are going Look, it, back to camp it was october 15th rc and i were with the big canadian steve tucker it was almost dark and we're die we've off on this little ridge looking into a park where the elk are supposed to come down and right. do it all the time. Right. And it's full moon. Okay. We know it's going to be late and I'm just learning how to cow call. I start cow calling a little bit. RC gets his little hyper call out. He, you know, hyper calls a little bit. And I'm, it's October 16th. Now there ain't a whole lot of bulls talking. And, and uh, like I said, most of them are split off kind of by themselves. And all of a sudden, right at the twilight, the gray light, this bull walks out. And I mean, he is a freaking toad, man. And he's 144 yards from us. And he walks out like he owns the place by himself, nobody else. But it's right at twilight. That bull is going to stay in that park all night, eat, drink, and be merry, fat, dumb, and happy. And, and yeah, and uh, man, he, uh, he started, he walked down there and just started eating and looking around. We get Tucker on his pack and you know, the rest of the story, it was a wild woolly scene, man. And we and, call uh, it the golden light, man. I mean, that's oh, the golden time. I'm talking a big bull, Joe. I'm talking like three thirty <laughs> plus dude. And the bull turns broadside, like give it to me, daddy. You know, and he, <laughs> he sends that freaking 50 caliber and knocks the bull clean off his face feet jack i'm talking just pile drives him man i'm dogpiling him we think it's done man he hammers this bull that bull shakes that off like a bad case of fleas son and he gets to his he gets to his dadgum withers and gets up and starts taking off and i cow call insisting yeah 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 and he stops again at 169 broad side man 
And uh, we reloaded that daggum muzzle loader, and he sent another one four feet over his back. Like, what in the world, Tucker? How in the world do you miss a bull that big man as big as a truck, you know? And uh, he goes, something's wrong with these guns. (laughs) There ain't nothing wrong with these muzzle loaders, dude. But anyway, we walked down there, and he had shot the bull in in the the front. In the horn, huh, huh, RC? This is the horn bull, yeah. Shot him in the horn, and the daggum perfect sabot was laying there. Barnes triple X was peeled back and it was laying right next to the horn. And I, I'll never forget it as long as I live. He shot that bull right in the horn, horn but that bull did on. not. Yeah. <laughs> that bull did not come out till right at dark. I mean, when RC and I finally got down there to go look for the horn, it, we had to use our light because there was no light left. Huh, RC. Yeah. It was so, dark. At, at that time, you guys see cows at that time? Not one. Mm-mm. Not one at that Not time. One. So you had the lone bull uh, that that was doing that. And and when we're talking about for those people that are hunting cows at this point in time, you know, we're talking about what their needs are. What is the need always of the cows? Yeah, they gotta have safety and they and their needs food, food and water. Food, water, food, and water. Yep. Slaves food, water. to the belly, man. They, they are going to be like, and a mm. lot of people are gonna see a lot of elk track and they're gonna think if you're bull hunting, eh maybe not right just mm-hmm. if you're seeing a lot of track there might be some young there might be some spikes there might be a rag horn or two depending again whether that's that earlier part that before november 1st but once you get after that like you said gil you're going to start seeing all these singles at first and then you're going to start seeing bachelor groups together on that but yeah. if you're hunting those cows man you better find the most best food the next day rc calls him another bull in by himself comes out of a big aspen park walks all the way down the aspen park into this huge park and comes and puts his lips in the creek to drink out of this park because he thinks that he hears a herd of elk down there we're calling and this that and another raising cane and he comes all the way out of that aspen park and dives off in there and rc's like i'm not believing this man this cat has seen more giant bulls in a couple of days <laughs> i'm serious that's another giant bull and he he airmails it over his back and i'm like oh my <laughs> gosh man it was tucker, it was unbelievable tucker has history of seeing nothing but big bulls man tucker is the big bull magnet dude <laughs> he really is for man. sure so so we, we love you steve about, we talked about effect of the rut we talked about effect of the moon phase on there all right and you talked a little bit about this next area when you talked about wind but how is the effect of weather upcoming changes in weather affect elk at this time of year how how can that affect them what what type of weather are we talking about most likely i think i think you know i'm just thinking yeah blizzards uh bad winter and them trying to prepare for it you know feeling i don't i i think they feel it in the barometric barometric pressure and sir the atmosphere i feel i think they feel it coming so i think they they know it's coming before we do yeah. For oh yeah. I think oh, that RC. that's why you guys seen so many elk. What was it? Two years ago yeah. when you got all that snow. snow yeah. Guess what? That's yeah, where guess why? That that's their winter range. That's where they go during the winter. Yeah. And they all showed up. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, and and you talk about activity, RC, have you seen when that barometric pressure is changing, when they can feel a storm coming, that that activity, that feed time possibly a little longer or they elk are more active? Yeah, they'll come out to me. I've I've seen them come out earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're coming, if you're kind of sitting around waiting in a park, well, if that pressure is changing, yeah, you, you, you're probably going to get them out. I mean, you know, most of the time we're going out by three or four o'clock in the afternoon and I've seen them show up at two because they know there's a storm coming. Right. And one thing I want to, I want to mention here too, because we keep talking about the evening hunt and I can tell you this on the last hunt that I guided, every guide hated the evening hunt. (sighs) And, and most of that was because a lot of these elk, if you're waiting for them with a rifle hunter in a park, by the time they get there, a lot of times being in the right place at the right time is real difficult. And so that's why I want to tell you in those evenings, one thing that we always try to do is not be at the destination. Yeah. Be in, be in those kind of Yeah. Yeah. So if you can find those places that they're coming out of where they're bedding to a transition feed type area, if you're looking in those bowls and those burns, if you're looking in those areas a little bit more sparse, if you're looking at that oak brush on the side of a hill, those places like that where they are not in the open already, they haven't gotten down to their nighttime bed, but they can feed, they can eat, they can move, they have a little bit of security. So those glassing areas in that evening got to be someplace a little bit different. Think about places that you can see them prior to getting to those other areas. That's huge, man, Mm -hmm. on that. All right. Uh, Especially if you do find one of those holes, you know, if you find one of those holes where one of those big bulls are at, man, you got to watch that frigging thing all day long because that bull could get up to feed, uh, get up to urinate, you know, and take a couple of steps out of his sanctuary there at just about any time in the day. So, you, you know, this is the one thing is when, when I talk archery, I don't even carry glasses. When I'm talking rifle, even. optics yeah. are huge. Mm. Yeah. They're That's really right, huge, man. So yeah, right. um, yeah, also, sense. when you get snow, snow is going to help you in a lot of ways, oh. man. You know, so awesome. tracking, seeing tracks and Pushing animals, making them yeah. active, seeing tracks, absolutely. Moving on them. Yep. Oh, I'm telling you, man, Brendan and I ran several bulls down. They knew we were coming, but it would have been too late with a rifle. I mean, we done got on them, and they were 75, 80 yards from us, broadside, looking at us like a calf, looking at a new gate. And uh, I'm telling you, it would have been over with a big smoke pole. <laughs> I would push, the, push them down as well to the transition from the snow, a bottom yeah. of the skirt, right? Yeah, we watched it. I mean, man, there were 300 head elk bail off on us, you know, and they were coming out of that went like RC said, they were coming out of there to get to that winter range and fall off to the bottom uh, to where they wanted to feed, you know, and right. it's not that far to fall off down there to where you know who is. And uh, I mean, mm-hmm. they weren't that far and it doesn't take them long at all. Take me forever, but take them <laughs> just a matter of 30 minutes and they're there. Well, there are areas that we've hunted, that RC's hunted, that Gil, you've even hunted, that, you know, we had a particular canyon that we really liked. And you could be in that canyon, and there would be, I mean, I'm sure there was an elk here or there, but what we were used to, it was like the elk weren't in the country, right? 
they had been off up in a different area, but then you have a snowstorm come in. You get that blowing wind and that snow to come in. All of a sudden that place filled up because it was protective. What RC was talking about before on the wind type thing, even in the snow, they didn't get that howling wind like that. And, you know, you had areas where, where you get trees and stuff that kind of, and you guys have seen it. Like if we get a rainstorm that happens, and it's a hard rainstorm. What are, where do we end up going to get out of the rain? Sure, in the trees. Yeah, you go in yeah. the trees, right? And in the trees. Pull out the poncho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Look, my son killed his first cow with the great Carl Gamage when he was 10 years old. And he was in an area that was gigantic. We found him in a little pocket because of the wind. There's snow everywhere, okay? It was snowing like a by God when Logan killed that cow, but there were at least 300 head of elk there and trying to get one lone cow for a 10 year old to get on to is like, Ooh, it is hard. But Carl was never going to be denied. He snuck Logan down on the low side with, with the wind in our face. And he got him up to the top, laid him down there and put him on the sticks. He said the one on the very right and shoot, man. Logan in two seconds, Logan had it done. And Carl's like, I can't believe this happened because there were so many eyes on us, you know, but still had to use the wind and the, the snow was crazy, but it put all those elk in that one big pocket. Grinders tuning in. Thank you for listening to the blue collar elk hunting podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our base camp elk hunting training camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And base camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. You know, right. Unbelievable. 
when we left out of there, my wife got to see a stampede of elk run in front of the truck, like hundreds of them. I got them all on video, man. It was the craziest thing she'd ever seen. And, and in that snow, it just, you can tell it's like a herd of buffalo went through there, tearing the ground up and everything. It was majestic looking. And, and I, I can I think tell you. My Go wife ahead. was hooked in. She was like, these elk are tremendous critters, man. You know, they're amazing, beautiful. I can tell you in Colorado, man, we saw it. We saw how thick the grass was down low oh, all man. the way up. They didn't have a tough winter up there up high. So those elk were able to stay up high even late in September up there. Mm -hmm. So now if they start getting pounded with snow, there is so much feed at different levels down there that you go where the feed is and yeah. you go where the feed is protected, where they can get to, man, because they again, they do not want to expend energy if they don't have to. All right. And then you then you take into consideration too when there's a lot of snow, you find those windswept slopes where on the there's south, no snow. Exposure. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, and, and you can usually see some elk up there. I generally during the off season I can see a lot of elk up in the windswept slopes when there's not a season going on. So sure. You know, you kind of look for that also. Well, I want you to think about Chav, like when we drive through you and I, because we live in elk country and you and I would go yeah. drive late November, early December in some of these canyons uh, when there was snow on the ground and down low, how many bulls did we hit down there? Big groups of bachelor bulls. Yeah. And some of them so tired, dude, they would run up on the side of the hill and then just wait for you to go by. And there was even some that would just stay there hoping you drove by them. I mean, they did not want <laughs> to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, they're whooped, man, after this rut. It's been brutal on them, you know, especially when you got a, uh, where your cow to bull population is, is a lot denser. You know, uh, they got to work extremely hard to keep what they got. So everybody understands how these animals are right now you know, what they're, I hope, I hope we've, and, and you guys help me out because a lot of times my brain already thinks about how these critters are. So, you know, if there's something that you don't think a listener, I mean, remember, we got people coming from the Midwest, we got people yeah. coming from the East coast and, yeah. and if they don't understand some of these concepts or, or we're struggling, let's just point these out because we want to make sure they get there because now we've gone from like what their behavior is to, we should be able to locate now because now we understand where they're going to be, what their behaviors are, how many of them are going to be there, who's going to be with who and why. Right. Yeah. Um, and in doing that, if I'm not able now to depend on calls and calling, the only way I'm going to find elk is by seeing them. Right. Or yeah. finding sign. Correct. Finding sign. Yeah. Finding sign. Finding sign. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, Here's the problem with sign is that, again, like we said before, if you're, I mean, if we're after November 1st and we're getting into November 15th or anything like that, you know, and you're hunting a mature bull, it's going to have a hard time finding that mature bull sometimes where there's a whole bunch of track, right? right. Because right. they've either loaned off or they're bachelored off. That's what I was going to say. Let's say that you're out there and you're putting boots on the ground and you've got two or three inches of snow and you're out walking and then all of a sudden you cut a big track well yeah. i mean i've had more luck doing that 
just doing the Mohican sneaking and just being as quiet as I can and follow that track. Guess what? He just went in there and laid down somewhere in the thickest part he could find because he's tired. Yep. Well, we can, we kind of went through some of those experiences a couple of years ago when we had that big snow, right? Uh, we right. were trying to cut tracks and then just kind of circle around and figure out where they went and see, you know, and that's kind of how we ended up locating them. We even saw um, how the cows kind of started going in heat when they started kind of peeing on the snow and it was fresh and fresh. You know, we started seeing some of that pink stuff uh, on the pee. And, and so uh, that was super interesting, a complete new experience for me, for sure. But it was awesome to see, you know, yeah. and how you can use that to your advantage, like, you know, uh, RC is mentioning. Yeah, I think too. Oh, uh, Go ahead. I can remember. I can remember the one time that we went with a rifle, Joe. I don't know if you remember. I do. We cut a track, and we followed it and followed it, and it was getting fresher and fresher and fresher. So we're doing one of the things that you can do, right? And and then as we closed in, we heard a shot. Boom! <laughs> 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 and we. No. We continued following the track and yeah. got on top, and somebody was doing the second best thing. They were on the top of a ridge glassing. Yeah. The bull came up, got shot. Uh, it actually died right on the road. Wow. So the, the bull we were chasing got shot by somebody that was glassing. So did you guys find two, the bull before the shooter did? No. Uh, we came up on it, and then uh, the guy drives up in the truck and... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, they, like I've <laughs> said, I think we followed that elk. We were on that track. And if for you guys that are following elk track, you know, you can kind of tell how fresh that track is a lot of times by the snow that mm -hmm. it pushes forward yeah. on there and how it's doing that. And I mean, we were, we are on that track for, I don't know, two miles, Chav, you know, well, by at the least time. two miles. And, yeah. And we were only a hundred yards from that bull. We were just getting ready to top out when he had already topped out. They were up Ooh. on top on a ridge glassing. Eating, bull came out. Sandwich glassing. Yeah, man. they were eating lunch glassing, man. Shoot the bull, and we're like, oh, I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was so sad, but you know, we put in all that work. But I mean, so that's a, that's another point I was going to bring out is that you know we talk about cutting track and following the track. Yeah. You can get to a high point and you can find track and follow track with glasses as well, sure. and find animals bedded down yeah. and then plan. Your stock. Here's the cool thing about the rifle season that's different than the archery season. You can be so much more patient and silent. Well, yeah. Well, and and what I mean by that is, is these animals are not going to move far fast a lot of times. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I I got a, a a a guy on a bull last year. The bull fed in the park. He went up into the oak brush, two hundred yards, bedded down the rest of the day the rest of the day man wow. and we were able to just work in and stalk in above that that bull's bed for an hour or so and then just get there and then cow call and stand him up and it's done right so that's Did the you see him is, bedded joe with your glasses so you yes. knew right where he was you we watched him bed down because we couldn't we couldn't get on him we were so far away from him mm -hmm. we spotted him down in an area moving up into the thicker area watched him bed down in that area and then just planned our plan of attack on that because and, you know that's where that that new base maps azimuth deal 
would work out so good. You pinpoint him there and then look where he's going to be above him, drop into him. I mean, I think that'd be a heck of a heck of an app to use. With the resources you have now. Yeah. The the ability, like what's so great about is is the glasses <laughs> I use. Um uh I use those uh Vortex Furies. Yeah. So I'm actually able to look at an animal. I can range the animal. So all I got to do is now take my base map. Yeah. And all I do is I point it right at the animal where he's at. And then it gives me on that navigation, gives me the distance. I can mark exactly on the map where that animal is. Then I can go ahead and look at mm -hmm. my fat map. Look yeah. at how Lower everything goes. To get to yeah. Look at my elevations. Yeah. You know, I compare that with, because I, and I, I'm going base map on X fat map, and I'm going to compare, yeah. I'm going to get a good feel for it, make my plan for attack, get in a good shooting position where I'm up above where I can see that animal. Now, here's the thing you got to be careful about. Sometimes when you get above an animal like that, um, you can end up in a situation where you're not able to see because of the thickness of, so, you know, sure. That yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right. You know, I was with RC and we did that a bunch. I used my tools in my, my hand. <laughs> I remember we were bailing off on one deal. We were pretty wiped out. And he looked at Brendan and he said, you don't need an Onyx when you got an RC. <laughs> I said, show you that's what right i told Luis. yeah oh, so but, but look those tools helped us out a lot because we could actually see in front of us see the the easier routes and stuff like that with fat maps so those are some big time tools that guys that can mm -hmm. that are going to yeah. be doing these rifle hunts are going to be we able just to created use. our marketing for our for our elk bros coach man Oh, <laughs> right sweet. There. See there? You don't need an Onyx when you got an RC, man. Exactly. Who <laughs> needs an Onyx when you got an RC, baby? <laughs> That's awesome. So in, in, in the locating, we, we're talking about how to locate these critters. And we talked about cutting a track using the weather, right? Um, but most of this is going to be and I can tell you this, in order to find elk at this time of year, you have to cover ground. And there's three ways, basically, if you got a horse and that stuff, I'm, not, I'm excluding that. So I'm not saying that, but there's basically three ways that you can cover ground and look into different places, either in some kind of vehicle, on your feet, or using glasses, you know, from a vantage point. So if you can find those high vantage points where you can get and you can look off into one drainage or another drainage, you know, or if you're, if you're multiple guys and you're looking, don't always get people and stare in the same place, look in different places, kind That's of right. break up that duty like that. And, and I want to come back to the full moon. The guy that I told you about that we found the bull down low and he went bedded up on high uh -huh. is because we found that elk with binos in the full moon. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Knew right where he was. Absolutely, man. Because that full moon and you get the optics that you have today, um, you can get at a vantage point and you can really, I mean, it's like sometimes being in daylight. You really, so just like, just like we do uh night bugling, this is yes. a form of night bugling in a different way. It's the whole purpose is just to locate, just to find so that you can be on them at the at the right time man you um bet. yeah uh and you talked about sign so rc if if i come across and it's 
November 10th. It's November 5th. And I come across four big tracks uh, that are going through. Am, am, am I worried about tracking a cow? Uh, yeah, you could possibly do that. Yeah, there could be. But more than likely, if it's just four tracks, you've got a herd of bulls. You yeah. got a bachelor group. Yeah, you got a bachelor group. Wouldn't, wouldn't the size of the tracks also be a little bit telling? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And the thing about it is, I mean, it's just like this year. We never did see any more than three cows at one time. Yeah, so, during that time of year. Uh, but, that time of year. Yeah, but late, I don't know what it's like this time of year. Me yeah, either. I think um, they're all gone. <laughs> well, once those bulls leave them alone, those cows are going to hurt up, man. <laughs> Those cows are going to be in big groups, man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know. they should. Yeah, yeah. It at least. I mean, I'm thinking it. And gosh, I we had a group, a herd of elk. My wife and I in I don't know. It was like November fifteenth. We're coming to Cimarron, and evidently somebody had been hunting the elk and and took a shot, and that herd got to running and cross Highway sixty four. And it was like, yep. Yeah. They just kept coming. They just kept coming, man. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, they are in big, big groups. So yeah, yeah. look, uh, when Luis and I were there in November 5th, 6th, 7th through the 10th, I believe <clears throat> we were with our guide and we were driving down a road and a herd crossed in front of us. And I mean, it's just like, come on, come on, come on. And then they, they were so wore out. They stood right there on the side of the road and waited for us to pass so they could keep coming across. They would not run in front of the truck. They just stopped right there, the whole herd, and then as soon as we passed them, they just kept going right across. And a lot of those ranchers, they've got some uh, elk fence built. It's low right there with just one pipe so they can go across it, and then they don't have to get over the all the barbed wire and everything. So it was pretty neat seeing how uh, how those – critters just really didn't give a daggum about the truck you know but they were all all those cows were together very few bulls in that group you know another nugget i want to give people too is we always talked about in the archery season when we wanted to locate elk about those knuckles you know how you have those finger ridges coming in Mm -hmm. and you locate those elk in those uh in those knuckle areas up there well i'll tell you in the evenings and you're trying to locate elk, it's those areas down at the bottom, bottom. not those big parks, not right. those big drainages sometimes, but those finger ridges coming down become little hideaways in those little spots mm-hmm. over there on mm-hmm. each side. So, you know, the whole key to finding elk this time is covering country, either covering it by foot, either covering it with your glasses or covering it by vehicle and looking in different places, man. You just got to get a lot of looks into different places unless you're going to sit there and, like I said, glass a drainage and just stay on it. Yeah. All, you know, and just glass. You know, I, think, I think that's the case regardless, unless you know there's a specific area where the elk is at and you want to be hunting that area. But, I mean, the covering country part doesn't look new to me. I mean, meaning regardless <laughs> of the season, right? I mean, we're going to cover country regardless. Yeah, but the purpose, though, you know, we were covering country before, again, for sign, like you said, but trying to get so that we got either a yeah, or sound or response, or we actually, the difference was we could bring animals to us. To us, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's not going to happen now. Right. So you've got to right. find out. Right. 
it's just maybe give fair. one to sound off or something. But we, even with a cow call, one might be. No, but I get I get what Joe is saying now. Away, I, not I follow much. you now. Yeah, yeah. So like not very much. When I, when I'm archery hunting, I know that I can go into an area and I can locate and pull stuff to me. Sure. And then when I'm rifle hunting with guys, man, we just gotta cover ground with our glasses and stuff as much as possible find them and then go to them sure so that that's that's the key point so if you're looking in those places and you are finding sign whether it's in snow or um you find an area that you find droppings where there's been a lone bull or a lone track or anything like that and you know to glass that area then you have a focus point if you can find those focus points that helps you a ton in finding those animals and i'll tell you it, it, we talk about a grind. I mean, glassing yeah. is a grind. Man. It is, it is. Man. make your eyeballs. You gotta be patient mm-hmm. too. Oh, I it's, have that, good, that's a hard one for me. Key. Good oh, I got a question to, uh, to the rifle season. Well, thanks. Hey, oh, we got Manano here in the what podcast, a, y'all. What, I mean, what about, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, what about the, uh, the, uh, when you find a good spot like Chavez, okay, Chav found one and he was. He was the one seeing more elk this season. Uh, right. So during the rifle season, would you sit in a in a pond or a or a little park with water just to wait? And not I, myself, no. Especially if there's snow on the ground. Oh no! You know, no. It's not, it's not oh. hot enough. Yeah. 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 And, and there, I think food is more of their higher priority water. time because that food's giving them energy they're trying to keep their their source up so um you know i'm looking for the places that they're going to eat more manano than that there's so many you know there's so many other ways and places and and you've seen it like all that water that they had there yeah you know they can end up especially if there's a lot of pressure out there they'll go to that stuff at night so i'm not i've never been big on sitting water really most times myself i know they're going to be in the vicinity so that gives me a place to focus as far as when i'm glassing but i'm not necessarily glassing water i'm glassing more those areas that they're going to get good grass because they are slaves to their belly you know gilbert says it all the time they're slaves to their belly we're going to say Uh that a third time they're slaves to their belly you know they really are absolutely really are absolutely and and that's another thing ag in an area if you have oh, ag in an area, elk are going to move out of bedding area to go down to fields. They're going to go down to areas around rivers that have fields. Yes. Oh, the, and they're yes. not going to those river areas because of the river. They're going there because people grow yeah. their ag near those rivers. That's right. So uh, hay fields and stuff like that are great attractions for elk as well. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And that, th- that time of year, too, is that you need to be looking at the forage. Right. Uh, they love short green grass. I mean, they don't like the big tall stuff and yeah. it's too coarse for them. But, but that but little green stuff along, uh, along the river and like you said, you know, the ag, oh, they love that stuff. Now, now the thing is, though, this time of year, a lot of that grass is dried and it's a lot like hay. It still has high protein nutritional value in a lot of places. So you know, you're right. They want to get as much of that green stuff and it depends on how cold it is and what's happening with those grasses. Right. So yeah. Um, you find the feed, you get that you find Mm -hmm. the sign, you know, 
Um, and remember, just because you're not seeing a lot of sign in an area where you think a big bull is, he's not going to leave a lot of sign. He's not going that far, right? He's kind of staying in security. He's eating a little bit. He's not going too far to water, and he's going right back to security, man. I'm telling you, that bull that we shot, he lived 200 yards from food, and his water was only another 200 yards from there. The same as, the same as Beto's bull. Yeah. That was a yeah. very taller yeah. bull. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. That's yeah. right. Yeah. They're, they're staying where they have all those things there. So now let's talk about the last thing. We're ta we've talked about how to find them. We've talked about what their habits are. Let's talk about closing the deal, man, because. <clears throat> oh, um, uh, Joe, before, before we continue, um, if it snows a whole lot too, look at, look at the Aspen areas, the Aspen trees. Yeah, they oh, like okay. they love they that aspen. Yeah, they love the They're bark always and, and the leaves. So it's always a great area. Mm -hmm. Burns are always great areas because once they've eaten the grass, they're going to go to those more woody plants. And, yeah. You know, because that's the where they go that lasts long still. So mm. Chab and I have seen them pulling the aspen bark off of burnt trees to eat that. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, it's um, yeah they're going to eat whatever's available they're going to take advantage of that um if you get a strong wind and aspen trees start falling down they're they going to mark off those aspen trees well yeah. i was going to say that's like candy to them if you'll notice yeah. Yeah. if you find a uh, green aspen that's blowed yeah. over or something like that it's like hey there's going to be an elk here it's like a post yeah. White yeah. exactly they're they're going to come and eat on it yeah, so closing the deal was more about some tips and stuff that we had. And I'll just tell you this, depending on where you're hunting, if you end up going in to any kind of trees or any kind of thick area, if you're in North Idaho, if you're in New Mexico and some of these places where I've gone after animals, always dial your scope down. You well, know, as soon as you go into the thick stuff, you can always four or five. Yeah, four or five, man. Mm -hmm. um, and then once once you get him out there, I mean, <clears throat> also Joe, what do you guys, what do you and RC feel like is really good, you know, when y'all get him inside your bubble? I know it's client specific, but y'all feel good when you're guiding your clients when you get them inside of 250, 200, 150. I mean, you know, what's kind of y'all's magic number that y'all'd like to see y'all get inside of? I, I'm that's a great <laughs> question because. A lot of times it depends on my effective range of comfort of my hunter because I watch my hunter shoot mm -hmm. and I can tell who is just horrible after 200 yards. Right. And tell who's going is, is clicking to 400. Mm -hmm. But for me, um, I like to be at 200 yards or under. That's what okay. I, I want on it because <clears throat> I truly believe anywhere from 150 down, I think somebody can freehand, uh, you know, just stand offhand. up and shoot that animal. I don't, yeah. I offhand, mm -hmm. I don't think they need really to rest on anything, yeah. mm -hmm. you know? So, and, and that's a big thing. Here's the other thing for closing that deal is you have to prepare for actual shooting positions because you're not in a lead sled, man. Yeah, exactly. You're not in a chair at the range. Practice if, with your sticks. Yeah. If you practice with your shooting stance. Yep. And not only practice, practice prone shooting from them but practice getting in that position exactly. because i've had guys take so long to get there that the opportunities are gone you know yeah. 
And that's where a cow call can really come in handy, man, is you can stop that animal as you're getting your shooting stick set up and getting it on them. And so, you know, I think uh, shooting sticks can be a, a big hindrance to a lot of people, too. Absolutely. Is, uh, but the one that's got the, the tripod is probably the best one. And the reason why I say that is if you can set that up, to where one of the legs is straight out or pointing right to the animal when you throw your gun up if you lean into that yes. pod you can get steady yeah. if you try to hold that thing there it's just going to be round and round and it, it, it's never going to get it but if you can lean into it it's almost the same thing as taking a knee when you take a knee you got something to lean against and it's just, you know if you to be able to do that if you can do it prone is number one number two is where you're sitting on your butt and you've got exactly. short shooting sticks or something on or on a bag or on a log right you know. um but you need to practice all that stuff and you got to get so beforehand you, before you get there absolutely. with the bullets that you're going to go hunt with with and by all means guys shoot your weapon when you get to camp please oh, you yeah. need to shoot because mm -hmm. if you're from down here in the flatlands like we are that gun is not going to be the same when you get to where you're going i promise I'll you go. how about gloves i'll take them off before i shoot yeah if you're not take used your gloves shooting off gloves. if you're not shooting with a bunch of gloves on man because you're not used to pulling that that triggers a lot more sensitive yeah. when you got a lot more mass inside the trigger guard exactly so, the, and, and again, don't put your finger on the trigger till you're ready to rock and roll. Absolutely. You know, index, index your f trigger finger. When you get on that bull, then you're indexed, you're on him. You get your your crosshairs in the zone, the kill zone. Check your background. Then, yeah, check your background and then make sure you get your finger in there and squeeze it out and let the gun scare the crap out of you. And you're going to make a good shot. You know, Confirm and your target, man. Just be sure of what you're shooting. Absolutely. Right. It, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, muzzle loader or there's just too many accidents out there. Just don't shoot something because you think it's moving. Just make 100% sure that Absolutely. you know exactly which animal you're shooting. And that's the one that you're wanting to shoot and there's nothing behind it. And and it's just, uh, it sounds so simple. It just, yeah, it's we keep hearing it happens in so many world. horror stories about Any that. Any doubt, go home without. Exactly. Any yeah, doubt, no go shoot. home without, man. Right. That, that's all there is to it. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I think one of the things that I always try to get my hunters to do, and and I and I've learned to do it, and it really has helped me a lot. Is uh, I know the first mule deer I shot when I was like seven or eight. Uh, shot him right in the horn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, looking at his I was looking at his horns, right? Yeah. Shot him right in the horn, right? And I've seen that happen with hunters so many times that boom, the first shot, and you're going, where, where, where was that one? Well, you shot the right horn off. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know. Tucker. <laughs> but but yeah. at the same time, what I've learned is i always say okay before we even go out today i want you to think about shot placement yep. and think about a red dot yep. us on that animal somewhere okay yep. what you're where you're going to shoot and so what i've done in the past is i've uh taken a hunter and i know just by watching him that he is just like uh, uh, you, you know, I'm going to, you know, he jacks all the shells out, you know, no, no, no. You know? <laughs> but, yeah. but it's like, all right, red, red dot. And then it's like, oh, 
they click all of a sudden it clicks and boom good shot so yeah i tell all the guys all the time, man, find a find a tuft to hair oh, yeah yeah. find a spot in a crease in that hair yep. study sit, let you know we hear all the time from new james small miss small you know mm-hmm. i mean aim something real small and they're like find that marble for me bow hunting mm-hmm. it's the marble every time right yeah. i gotta find that, red that marble, marble. Yep. yeah got gotta find that red marble let it let the let the the sight get in there and it poof, touch it off you know and it's like joe shoot. was fixing to say yeah as soon as you shoot Jack another get shell another and get ready another one. If he's standing up, put another put one another in. Another one in. Another one in. Uh, like old Gamage said, if he can get his head up, he can get up. You know, <laughs> so put another one in. Absolutely. Exactly. Make no. sure that because man, you're t- you're shooting animals at a distance, and you want to make sure Anything that you know. Yeah, you drop bullet cannot perform. Are. Bullet can part. There's yeah. a whole lot of things that can go on. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. look. Generally, with the you know, we'll talk a little bit about calibers. I think, you know, anything from a 30 out six on up from seven mag, 30 out six, 300, a 338. I mean, all those are great calibers for elk at, you know, the 200 and, and in. Now you're talking about shooting at distances. <clears throat> those younger calibers or smaller calibers, even 30 out six, 270. Once you get out past 250, they start running out of gas and it really mm-hmm. depends on the projectile that you're running. Right. Yeah. So you guys need to really understand Stop what, what type of caliber you shoot, you know, now but when don't, you step but up don't to that overgun weapon. yourself is well. right. You want to be proficient with your weapon. Right. Yeah. But know, know the capabilities. <clears throat> I hunted a couple of times with a guy who thought, a, you know, a 308 was capable at 400 yards of taking a daggum bull. And that's just not a caliber that's going to get it done efficiently, right? Uh, it's just really tough on that caliber getting through. It just doesn't have the punch that it needs at 400 yards to get that job done. It doesn't have the payload, right? So w- when you step up to wanting to shoot those big distances and stuff, you're going to have to up your payload too, you know, and be proficient with it, you know? So... That's for me, I, uh, for me, a 300 Win Mag, I think, is a, a fantastic choice. You know, uh, especially if if you uh, you know keep yourself 400 and in. You know. Yep. And, and there's a lot of guys make longer shots, but for me, I, I like to be 400 and in because I feel like that's that's a good distance for the caliber and for for myself at making a good, yeah. clean, ethical kill. Yeah, you know, only you know your effective range and and make sure that you know your weapon and make sure Shoot these animals bullet. go down as fast as possible. That's our goal, just the same as as our goal is in archery season. So Bullets are hard to get right now. Mm-hmm. If you guys can get your hands on some Barnes projectiles, they're fantastic, right? And they are killing machines when you're talking about heavy bone critters. You know? All right, boys, let's go to our Elk Bros mailbox before we sure. get out of here. Luis. Yes, sir. So we got Keith uh, from Colorado. Keith says, uh, and this is a story I thought you were referring to when we started the uh, the podcast, but uh, during my hunt, I started feeling bad and found out I had COVID. This is is archery elk, by the way, too. Oh, okay. Then he goes, then I got uh, a text from my wife. She and four other members of my family were also sick from COVID. So I backed up and headed home and we all suffered together. <laughs> We've mostly recovered now, 
my wife's still on oxygen after a month. So hope, mm. hope, wow. hope yeah. she's getting better and she's recovering yeah. soon. Your thoughts <laughs> to your family, Keith. Yes, sir. Yeah. After getting home to uh, fight COVID, I still had everything ready to head back out right until the last day, just in case. But my wife was not in a state that I could leave her. As the days of September clicked away, I was constantly checking milestones off from my prison couch. <laughs> Today's the full moon uh, on the solace. Or the, yeah, or the solstice. Solstice, yeah. I'm sorry. And of muzzleloader. Rut should be in full swing. Snow on the ground. I was doing everything to be mentally ready to redeploy to the hunting zone to execute my mission. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. So this is where Chaff's insights come in. Um, how do you deal with not being able to hunt when that's been your obsessive focus for months? Well, uh, I know two years ago when I, I was in real bad shape, uh, I kind of lived the hunt uh, vicariously through uh, Zolio, you know, because the guys would, <laughs> would, would post yeah. anytime they uh, – came upon an elk or shot an elk and, and that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, I kind of sat by my phone and carried it around with me. Usually uh, I don't use the, the phone a whole lot. You know, if you try calling me, no. you won't, <laughs> you won't get me. No. But, but, but uh, that's how I survived two years ago. And I know this year I was able to get up there and at least be in oh, a, yes. in a, in a yes. blind. But if I wasn't able to get out there at all, I, I would do what, what you're doing, you know, listen to podcasts, uh, go to YouTube and, and watch videos and, and kind of break it down. You know, what would you do in that situation? I know a lot of guys on those podcasts are not a lot of guys, but some of those guys are just lucky. But some guys, you know, actually plan the hunt out and uh, do a real good job calling them in. But uh, you can do stuff, you know, work on your calling. That, that takes time, and that's a skill that, that takes a lot of repetition. And uh, work on your shooting. The, the, the longer that you're able to shoot effectively, the, the better you're going to be close up. So, you know, there are things you can do. But, uh, yeah, it's tough not, not being able to, to get on the ground and walk and, and, and listen to the bugles. Because it takes away the the mm, – the, it takes away a lot because just hearing an elk bugle is pretty amazing to me. Yeah, we yeah. got to get you up there. Yeah, so, but, so you uh, can hear the elk bugle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two years ago, we got up there. Yeah, and and this year in the blind, I heard. I think I heard two bugles. One was a human, and, and an <laughs> elk actually bugled one time. So that's what happened this year with me and. Uh, I'm actually writing a, uh, a little article for our elkbros.com on uh, hunting from a blind and, and uh, the stuff that I, I encountered and experienced. So look for that in November. What about the depression, Chav? That well, it, you know, it's, well, you know, uh, I kind of kept it as that my motivation to keep working hard with with the thought that possibly in the future i can actually get out there and do what i want to do yep. you know and, and uh, yeah that kind of kept me motivated because uh, you know it's <laughs> i'm in my little gym half the day basically and i'm still doing that so uh thank what god for did that. You, what did you uh, find hardest 
or harder? Is it harder to deal with the not being able to go um, and just what he's talking about here, or is it harder when you get back and realize now you have another full year ahead of you to wait on it and uh, just kind of get that depression of, man, I'm not out in the mountains and I wish I was. Well, I think we all kind of go through that yeah, <laughs> when, yeah. the, when the season's <laughs> over. Yeah. You know, Terrible. we get home, we get home and it's like, <clears throat> yeah, you, you start counting the days, even though there's 350 Been something doing it. Been days, doing it. you know. So I would say that, that was hard. Yeah. Not not being out there, just being out there with you guys is a is a blast. You know, I think RC reignited some flames there too. So <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think it was really awesome just being out there. So yeah. I'm already looking forward to next year. You know, absolutely working, working towards that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I think it's important. Too. I think it's important to. I think one of the things I'm picking up from you, Chav, is. You, know, you you taking the opportunity of knowing that you can't be out there to improve the things that you can improve upon uh, for the next time that you're out there, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so you're you're using the time wisely to Calling. kind of keep yourself Jeez. in the zone of the elk hunting mode, mm-hmm. but to improve the skills that you you know will help you next mm-hmm. year and and kind of center that focus on next year's hunt, right? You bet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I you don't appreciate something until you until you lose it. Lost it. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing though to remember about this too, Keith, is that what you're going through is almost a, a larger version of the exact type of feelings that you can go through actually on a hunt, man. Because yeah. you know, yeah. d- during yeah. a hunt, you can have a lot of peaks and valleys during a hunt. There's there's days where that grind, man, where you're like, well, True. where's the elk, you know? And, you know, you, you heard uh, Guy Duplanche on our show just this last week talking about how he had the highest highs and the highest lows. It's the greatest roller coaster there is. And yeah. and really what you went through is an extension of that. It's It's one of those lows that you just have to understand and keep working to get back to the high, you know? You, yeah. you know, uh, it, it's that... It's that mental endurance. It's that ability to keep rising and keep working. And, you know, uh, no matter what our situation is, it's, elk hunting is nothing but a parallel of life. Yeah. Hard ass well, work. 100%. And I think, you know, one of the things you're, you're talking about, as you're talking, I'm thinking through this, is just the fact that it takes us to our limits. Um, you know, mm-hmm. highs, emotions, as far as, you know, your highest, your lowest. And it just, in such a short time, it gets, it makes you get to know you better. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the reason why we're so hooked with this, you know, with what we do when we go elk hunting. It's because we grow so much as individuals just by exploring and understanding ourselves in such a short time, probably more than we do on a regular day-to-day life the rest of the year. Yeah, you know? I mean. And I think that's that why. Short, those few short days. It's we a push skill ourselves set. to the it's, brink. Yeah. It's a learned skill set, man. You yeah. learn to deal with those lows and, and you learn to keep those highs little even keeled and enjoy them when you get them, man. And, and, and not lose your focus, not lose your determination, not lose your will to continue to try. And mm-hmm. I think that's all you got to look at this, man, is, is that, 
Yeah, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't see it that way, yo. I, you we got the banana. Uh, oh, yo, we <laughs> got ups and downs every single day, every single Absolutely. hour. Uh, I, uh, I'm always high in the woods. That's because of that root no. you smoke. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I don't smoke anything. I just, <laughs> I just enjoy being high in the woods and the. And but that's even what we though love we about. got a roller coaster, yeah, we miss if you win an animal, whatever. Yes. I mean, it's a learning curve, and, and, and you, you will learn until the last day. But, I mean, to me, it's. Yeah, but it's I mean, just there, there are days that you're out there exhausted. I mean, you find the limits of your physical abilities, too, and you can't. It, it doesn't mean right? I that, mean that helped me to recognize myself, my, my limits, talking about. and to learn, but that. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't that's what we're would talking be about. down. Well, I, I wish a lot of people could continue to get to the state of Manano. Yeah, really. no doubt. Un honestly, no bro. Doubt. I mean, yeah. that's I, one of the things that 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 I love about, about you, you. your yeah. being and, and your presence. And that's one of the things that you bring to this group. And yeah. and I think we have a lot of that positive. But I'm talking about there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they have all these high expectations and they haven't seen an animal in four days. And 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 they're downtrodden and they end up leaving and regretting leaving and and it's and, yeah I, I think it's 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 all about managing expectation yep. you know yep. and and just be prepared because that can happen it's yep. haunting yep. <laughs> oh yes yeah. it's, it's yeah, look haunting. i mean the first few days of our elk hunt rc and i got into some areas that we knew we were going to explore and go look and go find elk and they just weren't there you know and uh, I mean, it was evident that we had exhausted those opportunities in that area. And so when we talked to the mafia, the mafia are like, look, this is what we found out. And it was once they gave me the groundwork, it was pretty no, simple no, no. after that. The, the, again, plural. <laughs> Here we so they, once Manano gave me the playbook, we ran the play yes, yes. and uh, went to the top of the mountain oh, and it was on from oh, there. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Beto. Job, next letter. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is from Richard Flock, uh, hunting Roosevelt in Oregon. Uh, say you're hunting, say, an area where you're finding rubs and sheds, but there's not a lot of elk, or whatever the reason, like there used to be. Whether it's predator or whatever, would you still hunt an area like that for bulls? knowing that there's still some out there or would you go to an area that has a higher number count? And that's such a loaded question. There's so many ifs yeah. that I can <laughs> a lot of pick out of, out of that, right? I mean, first of all, in my mind, how many days are you hunting? What um, time of year? Yeah, what time of year are you, you know, are you confident that there's elk in the area um what is your uh, mobility options can you if, if you're able to go and check other stuff and still come back to this area it, yeah i mean i it's it's a tough one there's there's a lot of ifs it, it sounds to me like you're negative on already if you're negative on it go someplace else i mean yeah i would say the same joe i mean you want to hunt where the elk are not where they were right you know, yeah, but look, I mean, I can, or, I can are where they are. I can give an example of in our case this year, right? Manano and I were in an area where there, there was a lot of sign, and then all of a sudden, and we were seeing elk every day, and all of a sudden, something changed, 
And then we weren't seeing them there anymore. So we started looking at different areas and knowing that we potentially be leaving some elk behind to look for maybe some other elk somewhere else. And, you know, that was, we were lucky and successful on that, on that front. So not lucky. Not yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you yeah, know, y'all used you know, what you learned before to to don't, mimic. Don't disagree, that. but we, we could adapt. Yeah, we don't disagree, but we could have gone to another place where there wasn't any elk, you know. Sure. So and and so that's that's why just I say, as easy as you could have went to a place that was loaded. Yeah. Correct, correct. Yeah. And so again, that's that to me is a prime example of what he's talking about here. But again, it depends. To me, it depends how many days you have to actually, you know, play that card. Yeah, I, in in Oregon, those elk don't like to move as much as like our Rockies do. Those rosies, they they're a little bit more territorial. Are and, they as vocal too, Joe, or do they not yeah, talk um, as much? You know, I'm not an expert on rosies, man. We'd have to we'd have to bring our buddy Tony in. But from people that I talk to, that you know, they're they don't go as far. They don't travel as far. And, and I know here in places where we find elk, we generally find those elk year after year. Mm-hmm. The big, the big thing that you said was the word predator. And man, yeah, I tell you, going around cat, mountain line. bears yeah. can clear out an area. So you might as well find something else because if that's where those elk were before and they're no longer there <laughs> and, and you've had they a predator to move in, Man, you might as well be peeing in the wind, man, because it, 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 yeah. it's, it's over until those critters come back to that area. And they will come back. Yeah. And, you know, eventually other elk will come back to that for the same reason that elk liked it in the first place. But yeah. if there's a predator, you know, pit going on in that area, man, you might as well, I, I would head someplace else. And, and you've already told yourself that for whatever reason, they're not there. For whatever reason, they're not there, even though they were there before. So go find where they are. Yeah, Don't man, leave elk to find game. elk, but if there aren't any elk there, go find elk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree a hundred percent. When you, when you look at what he says is, would you still hunt an area like that for bulls knowing that there's still some out there? Well, how, you know, how, you know, there's some still out there just because of the sign for me, it'd have to be straight up. One got to talk to me Yeah. You know, for me to 100%. Yeah, and goes back to RC's point with time of the year. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And R- yeah. Richard, Richard would like to know whether he was hunting a rut or, you know, what time of year. Exactly. Richard is a huge follower, man. And Richard, I know that you already, um, you have it in you. Um, follow your own gut feeling. You, you, you know this. You know your country. You understand the animals. Follow your gut, man. And, uh, and make a decision and don't look back. Don't second guess, just make your decision and then go for it. But you've got this. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, man, and before we, before we go, I just want to uh, say thanks to Manana for his minimal and non-valuable input uh, <laughs> through the whole um, uh, podcast. So now thank you for that. That was uh, very, you know, loved your participation for sure. Yeah. Go ahead, Beto. You can close it out, bro. 
Kids still laughing. You got to love these Venezuelan boys, man. They keep it all interesting. Guys, if you like what we're doing, you got to please subscribe, rate, and review. You got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a reminder, if any of our listeners would like their questions answered on our show, just send your question to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. And like we say down here in the Lone Star State, husbands kiss your wives, wives kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk. And you guys, you know what's coming up next. Get ready, man. Start tapping those feet. Here's some music <laughs> from our brother, Tony Wintrip, closing out. Oh, peace, peace. Peace. The man on top of the world didn't fall there. He knew how to earn his keep with a wall there. He could look anyone in the eye. Never was afraid of goodbye. Strength was unimaginable. Through the darkest winter storm, never was above the norm. You gotta believe he's unstoppable. And if he'd never done it, he would tell you so. Never complain, it's the way life goes. The man on top of the world didn't fall there. You can see his veins through his t shirt, determination on his face. Never heard of the word failure, never criticized a race.
brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.